Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 201 of Dogcast Radio. In this episode, you can hear from vet and author Malcolm Welshman. She was an absolute sweetie. She was a Labrador-sized, dark-coated, white blade on the chest, white paw stockings, and uh, had a habit of sort of sitting and doing a shaker paw to everyone she met. She's an absolute darling. Everyone fell for her as soon as they met her. Catch up with the doggy news you just might have missed out on. New research led by the University of Sydney has revealed the life expectancy of chocolate Labradors is significantly lower than their black and yellow counterparts. But before all that, I heart dogs. No, I mean, yes, I do heart, I mean, love dogs. But the first interview is with I heart dogs. Well, it's about I heart dogs. It's with Marshall Morris, the CEO of... Look, I'll leave it to him to explain. I Heart Dogs is over four years old, and so four years ago, uh, we, my partner and I, we, he had rescued recently rescued a dog, and we said, you know what? There's a lot of need for shelters around the world. There's a lot of support uh, that's needed, and so mm-hmm. what can we do about it? So we built a Facebook page, a community around people who uh, were passionate about a rescue and shelters, uh, and that was four years ago, and then. Um, progressively, we just started building more things that people were looking for. So they wanted a place to, to communicate. We built that. Uh, they wanted a way to support shelters. So we brought in a nonprofit. And then we just continued down that path till mm-hmm. now where we, we run 100 Facebook pages. Wow. Um, we run 100 Facebook groups. And we have two, three million people globally on our email list. Wow. In four years? In four years. <laughs> Do you know, I, I, we need to have another chat off, off, off mic and I need to take some notes, you know, cause that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We're excited. Uh, like we, one of the biggest things was like, we keep th- our impact, uh, that we make in shelters. That's really our focus. Yes. And so like everything we do, we think, how can we benefit the world in a better way? And how can we get back to the community that we serve? Uh, and we do a lot of that through shelters. So, um, not only it's feeding meals, we, and this is, by the way, you're in the UK. This is actually globally. We have partners around the world. Mm. So, um, you know, we, 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 we provide meals to shelters. We've done 12 million meals to date. Uh, yeah. and we've done, we do over the U S we do veterans. We we help pair veterans with service and companion animals mm. who have PTSD. Yeah. We donate toys to shelters, like things like that. So anyway, we can give back. We can. And then we're also uh, pretty active in disaster response globally. Mm. So like if there is a, a if there's a, a, like a hurricane, right, or anything like that, our community will get together and create resources for, for the, the all the shelters that are on the ground and affected. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, that, that's just amazing. I know this is going to be an interesting um, interview, but I mean, you've, you've already t- amazed me. That's brilliant. So, so tell me about let's Let's go back to, to the, the basics. Tell me about the rescue dog that you adopted initially. I've actually fostered a handful of dogs. So Splash is my partner's dog. He was really the, or she was really the focus. Mm. And um, so like, uh, it's a, Splash is a Siberian Husky. Oh, and I, yeah. And so like, well, when we got together, uh, he was like, you know what? I have a lot of questions. And he saw the state of the shelters. You know, they're underfunded. underfunded. Mm. Uh, many uh, animals were literally being put to sleep because there's no room, not because they couldn't they weren't yeah. good yeah. or they weren't homes. And so like he, we just said, look, there's gotta be someone to stand up for this. And we thought, Hey, if we can rally people around, 
who care about this and help them become heroes, then um, that's what we want to do. And it wasn't even a job, you know, Mm -hmm. it was just, uh, let's try this. And then, you know, now we have 60 employees, uh, uh, that on seven different continents. So it's exploded and it's all because of people, um, who are really willing to step up and, um, help contribute to, you know, all these causes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's good is, I mean, you, you seem to be, have, have, have invented or mastered the knack of kind of making a profit, but also making a difference in the world. And that's the important thing, isn't it? It's great making a profit. But as you say, if you can make the world a nicer place, that's the important thing. I mean, I think that is, if you can, if you can make a profit and then um, make, create a uh, change in the world. I mean, that's, for me, that's the, the, the end all, like that's the, and, and I think that anyone can do that, by the way, hmm. uh, it just, you have to process it through like, and we, and like the conversation we had earlier where when you have children, you're intentional about how you train them. Yes. What you do is in the DNA of every decision you build in, how is this going to make the world a better place? Hmm. And hmm. that will drive a lot of opportunity. Excellent. Excellent. So how, how does it actually work? Then? So for example, we, I've, I've got the, the sort of, some facts and figures in front of me that have been sent to me. Um, so uh, 10, 10,265,000 plus meals donated to animal shelters. So how, how does that actually work? Okay, great. So it's actually 12 million now. So oh, well, wow. like, I'm out of date already. <laughs> we're, we're, yeah. Well, yeah. Like we're always out of date and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So basically, so we, we have a store, so we create, uh, we create pet products, mm-hmm. uh, a really high quality. So we, we would look at it like, what would we give our pets? So whether it be consumables, whether it be supplements, whether it be, um, you know, leashes or collars or whatever, we just try to find, we ask our community, like, what do you guys want? And then they say, Hey, we want this. So we go ahead and we build that. And when I build that, I mean, we actually manufacture it. We manufacture it under really strict standards. Like all our supplements are made in the U S. So we build all these products for pets. So it's kind of like a a pet store online. Right. Mm -hmm. And when you, but every product you buy, uh, there's a measurable impact. So for example, we have things like, say you bought a, um, a dog treats, like everyone buys dog treats, right? Yep. Um, ours are all single ingredient and single origin. So they're very, very healthy hmm. and you buy those. And then, you know, every time you buy a bag of those, it, it, it we funds go to feed seven, uh, sh- provide seven meals hmm. for shelter dogs. So seven physical full belly meals. Yeah. So, um, so like, and then what we do is we take funds from that and then we apply that to the program and then the program will del- delivers food over 13,000 shelters. Do you know any of the, the stories of the, the sort of the dogs that you're helping or is it sort of your too, too busy with your, your websites and, and things? Oh, not at all. It's just, this is the best part. So like one of our missions is to tell the story, show the impact of the people who are, st- who are becoming, who are stepping up and who are heroes for these, mm. for these shelters. So like every uh, week we publish stories uh, that are, where we'll actually track a donation. All we, we track all our stuff. It's very, very transparent. So mm. we'll have meals. We'll know exactly the shelter. We'll have adult, we have stories of dogs that are, are a part of uh, So like your impact, if you're part of the, if you're one of our heroes in the program. Mm. So like, we, we track all that. Um, we have video, we have footage. So we do a lot of storytelling, which is, uh, or, or at least telling the story of the impact. Cause we feel like, yeah. like when we bu- say you buy a bottle of water and it says it provides 10, you know, uh, meals for kids, like that's usually the end of it. And yeah. you're like, okay, yeah. well I hope, well, we actually, we actually follow the whole thing. So the meal to the truck, the truck to the shelter, the shelter, to the dog, the dog to the home. And we, we track all of that and we tell those stories. Yeah. 
Oh, that's lovely. And I think that, that is a really important thing is that's how humans make sense of the world. We make stories and that's how you pull people in, you know, and that's how you get more people excited and you make the difference. That's a really good strategy. And I think in the world today, like we're, uh, we're, we've seen people take advantage of others. Mm. And so, um, uh, you know, we're, we're a bit more skeptical because we feel responsible, right? We feel yeah. responsible. And so part of that storytelling and, and helping people see behind the scenes is to let them know, like, we are 100% committed and we're 100% boots on the ground, right? And this is actually happening for you and you are doing a good thing and here's what it is. Here's what it looks like. Yeah. Um, and for us, that's, that's the way we like to operate as transparent as possible. Yeah, yeah. Excellent, excellent. So if people want to find those stories, um, they go to iHeartDogs? Yeah, and you can do iherdogs.com forward slash heroes and actually tells about, you know, like what we just talked about, kind of how we started. And uh, and then also there's also under there, there's tons of stories. We have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds um, of stories. And um, for us, the cool thing is we're always trying to do more. So, for example, like we'll fundraise for specific things too, like for specific shelters. So we're trying to fundraise to rebuild a, a shelter uh, in New York that, that is completely underfunded. So we're always do, looking for other ways to go above and beyond. And all that will be documented if you go to iheartdogs.com forward slash heroes. Yeah. And you can see all that. Yeah. Excellent. So tell me as well, I mean, you've said when there's disaster um, around the world, disasters around the world, you, you respond as well. Tell me something about that. Okay, so it really, the thing is, it's, it's amazing how people come together in the face of adversity. And that's something that I think that makes us different. Um, and, and is the core of who we are, no matter who you are, you most people are willing to really step up and help other people. Yeah. And so, um, what we'll do is because we do a lot of, uh, work with our, with non, with nonprofits, hmm. um, we have a, we globally will, we will be, we're in touch kind of with what their needs are. And so for example, if there's uh, you know, a hurricane or there's a bad storm or flooding anywhere in the world, you know, we'll, we'll, we make that phone call like, Hey, what can we do? Yeah. And, and they'll say and a lot of times, because a lot the animals are typically a second thought usually. Yes, yeah. um, and so we obviously care about people, but, um, a lot of our, our community is certainly going, we look for opportunities to serve both, yeah. but especially animals and, and, and because there's, they're usually the, the last thought. So, yes, yeah. um, we'll, we'll react with nonprofits in real time. Um, sometimes we'll fly people to uh, the areas to do rescue efforts. We've we've, we've considered that and we've looked into that too. And like uh, like we're, we're we want to become more and more responsive mm-hmm. um, to be able to deploy resources. So we're we're actively working with partners on the ground in real time. To, and then we're taking that back to our community and asking them to help uh, you know fund those relief efforts. Yeah, that excellent, excellent. And I think that's you know that's you. You've absolutely again hit the, the nail on the head that you need to talk to people and say, right, what is it you need? Not, not what yeah. I think you need, what you actually need. You know, that's perfect. And, and also, I think the world works best is if we all follow our passions. So mm-hmm. yes, obviously you want to help people, but if your passion is the animals, and again, right. as you say, they, they can get overlooked. You know, if we all work to our passions, that's when we really, you know, we're motivated and we do our best work. And that's when the world really turns, isn't it? It is. And I think that exactly in the, the, the power that, um, especially like animals have in people's lives is pretty profound. Yes. Uh, and we see that all the time, uh, the positive impact that they make. So even the relief efforts for animals eventually transcend into, um, real life change and impact for people too. And yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you. Like, yeah. I think that we, we, we make the impact where you can, 
uh, and what and if you're passionate about where you make the impact, you're going to go. You're going to do more there. You're going to have more depth there, and that's what we've certainly seen. And then you're going to excite other people yeah. who want to come along. Like you're going to lead that charge, and it's amazing when you have when when there's clarity and you have people that have the same passion. When you ask for their help, the we're always floored by the outpouring of support globally. Whenever we ask for help, like yeah. hey, we're going to go do this. Um, and people are looking for champions. I think that's, I think we can do more of that in the world is step up and just pursue our passion to make a difference where we feel like we can, we can make the most. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Now, and another thing, tell me about the PTSD, the, the post traumatic stress disorder, because yeah. I know you're, you're an army veteran yourself, aren't you? So right. tell me about that. Yeah. So one of the things that we, we, and so this kind of goes back to how amazing dogs can be in people's lives. And they're unlike any other creature because they have the ability to bring joy, happiness, um, in a way that doesn't drain us. They just mm. supply it. And so, um, with, uh, army veterans, especially in the U S I'm not sure how the UK, and I know that there's issues there too, but, um, uh, what happens is the the pairing a veteran who has PTSD with a service dog is the closest thing to a miracle in real life that yeah. I think that most people will see is phenomenal what happens. Their lives change. Their families change. And so um, the government doesn't fund that. So like when you're here, they, they'll provide resources, you know, medical support, mental health, things like that. But like the uh, they won't they, they don't have there's not really any programs government funded that yeah. will provide service or companion animals, which are seeing, we're seeing huge difference in their lives because of that. Yeah. So we wanted to step up and fill that gap. Um, it's personal to me. Right. And so, um, we wanted to do this. So we created a program where, uh, we went to our community and said, Hey, it, we're going to create military, ins- uh, themed and inspired gear. So like we have a mil- military kind of leashes, you know, a military looking pet gear. Mm. It, through any of those sales, we're going to contribute to fund these these dogs. These veterans can't get without us, and um, and so and so we've asked people to come alongside of us there, uh, and we and we just we actually just hit a quarter of a million dollars donated wow. uh, in two years mm-hmm. to veterans who have PTSD. And so we're, we're actually funding training, we're funding the dogs, we're funding um, pairing them, all that, and. Yeah. Like we're talking generational change because these these uh, these men and women are affected in a way that's gonna it impacts their life, it impacts their legacy, their kids. Mm. You know what I mean? So like by making a difference in their life, we're we're changing the legacy, their legacy. Yeah. And so um, that that is a program that's really close to our heart too. And so we uh, anytime we have an opportunity to help a veteran or first responder or anything like that, we jump at that. Yeah. Yeah. And say, I mean, that's lovely to hear you say, um, because there's a charity in the UK, Service Dogs UK, that, um, again, pairs up, uh, ex-military, but no veterans, veterans is, uh, but it, it's not just ex-military. As you say, it's first responders, it's yep. firefighters, it's policemen, it's, you know, and, and, uh, you know, when you start to think about it, these are people who, you know, all those people, are some of the people who are first on the scene of horrendous yes. scenes. And, and that's got to have an effect. And they're doing it. It's a public service, isn't it? They're doing it for us. So yes. we owe it to them to look after them when it does affect them. Yeah, and I think that like the um, I, the military, because of the numbers that the uh, military men and women we sent into combat, we see that impact the most. Um, but first responders certainly have a similar traumatic situations. Yeah. You know, they lose people in line of duty, um, and I feel like for a long time they've been under 
are overlooked. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and so we, we've seen it and we just see the difference uh, that it makes. And so, you know, we're going to do everything we can to uh, contribute to that. And yeah. our community is loves that initiative. And so that's that. And they, those heroes help us help support that. So through their purchases, they're um, choosing to help support us and support that program. And, and we greatly appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, lovely. Now, another thing, let's talk about, because and, and I'm not going to say the numbers because I'll be out of date, I know that, but oh, yeah. <laughs> you um, you donate toys as well. So, But first of all, you can tell me the numbers, but why, Why? because alongside the other things, some of the other things we've talked about, you know, yeah. uh, the, the food and that, you know, you, you think of those basic needs of a sheltered dog, yep. um, but toys, so why are toys important? Yeah, so there's a statistic that pushed us over the edge for this, mm. uh, and it was that uh, dogs are adopted 70% more when they're playing, seen playing with a toy. Wow. And the reason being is because you see their personality. You see who they are. Yeah. And so um, and, and play opens them up. So when you have a dog sitting in a kennel, especially certain breeds like the bully breeds, mm. they don't – you have a hard time – like you walk into a kennel and you see a dog in a cage essentially, and they're staring at you. And you – like we're made to read. We read people, we read faces. Yeah. And so we make judgments, right? Fight or flight judgments yeah. at our subconsciously a lot of times. And in those scenarios, it's really hard to get a read. Like, is this dog going to be safe for my foot home for my kids? Cause you're not having them as a puppy. You're adopting them typically when they're older. Mm. And so, um, what we've seen is that like, but when you see them playing, you get to know them instantly. Yeah. You have a better perception of them. You understand how they work. And then there's bonding that happens during play. With kids, with dogs, there's bonding. So by providing toys to shelters who need them, and we actually built a toy just for shelters. They said, we, you know, we, we don't want tennis balls, for example, because there's glue and there's fluff. And we want we actually built a ball for them. Hmm. And um, and so we uh, we said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Every toy we sell on our site, we're going to donate a toy to a shelter. Mm-hmm. And I think and I, the numbers are still scaling because it increases every single day, which is awesome. Um, I think right now we're close to 140, 150,000 toys wow. that have been do- donated. Yeah. Um, and so it continues every single day. And um, so we're actually helping. So the big reason was they also need mental uh, dogs, like yes. just like us. Like if you sit them in a room, you sit you in a room with nothing, mm. like you're going to feel anxious. Mm. Uh, same thing happens, right? Dogs are meant to be out. They're not meant to be in like a specific small space for a long period of time. So, um, that helps their mental state as well. Um, which again, bolsters, uh, adoptions. So, um, that's, that's the core of the program. And when we heard that stat and we we were like, that's, we're going to do something that's, that's big, big impact. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as you said, we, we had a long conversation before before we actually uh, yeah. sort of started the formal interview. But, you know, with our kids, we've forgotten the value of play. We were saying, you know, we, we stress our children yeah. in, in school and it's do more homework, do more work, do this activity, do this. You know, and we've all forgotten the the value of play for us, for our kids and for our dogs. You know, let, let's get play back in life. Yes. No, no, I think that's it. I think that, like, the world's better when we play more. Mm-hmm. I think that, like, I feel like that's the, we unwind, we decompress, mm-hmm. um, we bond. So the more dogs that play, we feel like, you know, you could saw if you had, if you, if you, if you set a cup of coffee and you put a dog at a table and you put two people, any opposing side, like you're going to find common ground. Yeah. And so yeah. it's like, like dogs are that great 
catalyst mm-hmm. because they can change people. They connect people who would not be anywhere like they would not. There would be no connection in a really powerful way. We see. And that's the other thing that's beautiful about what we do is like there's not one type of person. There's people around the world as, as diverse and different as you can even imagine. And but they all come together for for because they are passionate about animal welfare. Yeah. Uh, and it's just it's a I think it's a model in our mind for for the world in general, like there are common ground, there is common ground we can come together on. We're seeing it in other areas. And so, um, that we, we really, pre- we love that landscape landscape. We love contributing to that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, obviously you are a busy man from the sound of things and you're, you're going to get busier because your, your company is growing really, really quickly, isn't it? It's, um, <sighs> Yeah, no, no. It's 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 actually been a roller coaster. Like we're just like it's one of those things where um, we had no idea. So if you would have said to us four years ago, you're going to have you know 60 employees, you're going to be on you know in seven on seven continents, you're going to have uh, you know you're going to be one of the fast one of the fastest growing companies in the U.S. Yeah. year after year. We I would have we would just been like you're crazy, <laughs> like you're crazy, <laughs> and but it's happened. So we're still kind of still settling in. Like okay you know, what does it look like for us? How do we responsibly move forward? Because w- one thing we want to do is, um, we, we want to, we want to contribute to the world as long as we possibly can mm-hmm. with this business to, to have as much legacy as possible. What that means is you have to be, is that you have to be able to build a business. And this is just fundamental stuff where, where you can create profit so that you can continue to give back and give back and give yeah. back. And so, um, it's, it's real fine tuning that model. So for us, it is enjoying what we're doing. It's making impact, but it's also kind of business one-on-one, right? Like building the business in a sustainable way so we can stay here and keep doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And changing lots of lives. It's, um, you know, I mean, can you, can you tell me, I was going to say, what, one of my, the questions I usually ask you is sort of what's next. I mean, can you tell me what's next or are you sort of just buzzing? Yeah. Ideas? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> that's great. You know, like, we, like we're like, that's a great question. And for us, it is like our 10 year target is we want to donate. We want to, we want to raise $10 million to charity uh, and then, and, and ship 10 million products. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for us, the, the impact there like is a uh, 10 million product means millions and millions uh, of toys. That means millions of meals, millions and millions, you know, hundred million meals or something. So in 10, we want to keep doing what we're doing and get better and better and better at it. So for us, like we're, we're, our, our focus long-term is more about just magnifying our impact. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm sure you'll do it. I'm sure you'll, based on your record, you, you'll do it. Um, is is there anything, I mean, I know we, we discussed a lot today, but is there anything else that you'd like to say that we haven't covered yet? Um, I think that we've really done, I mean, I've really enjoyed this time and, and it's, it's also good for us, right? Cause like it's for us, like, you know, when you're in the day to day of it, it's different than when you, when you sit and reflect on it. Yes. So it's yeah. really nice to sit here and be able to chat with you and discuss this stuff because, um, but what I would say, if there's anybody that wants to be a part of what we're doing or want, feel, feels the need to feel free to connect with us, you can get connected with us through the site, iheartdogs.com. Um, we're always looking for partners who want to help, you know, in their area or, um, connect them to resources where they can make a bigger difference. Like we're all about that. Yeah. So, um, certainly if there's anyone that's around the world, that's like, Hey, you know, I have a passion here. I want to help. Um, we have resources and stuff and we can connect people to the right things. Yeah. 
Oh, lovely, lovely. Well, I'm, I'm glad you've enjoyed sort of sitting and reflecting on what you've been doing because I can remember the first, one of the first times that somebody actually wrote in, well, I always say write in and my daughter goes, emailed, emailed, but anyway, emailed. Oh. <laughs> and, um, and sort of said, Oh, I, you know, I, we would listen to your podcast and it inspired me to teach my dog to sneeze. And then we had her on the show and various things. And when, in the, particularly in the early days, you know, it was, it was a lot of hard work and it still is a lot mm-hmm. of hard work, but mm-hmm. when, and you get lost in that and it just becomes a product that you're working on and something that you're putting right. together. And then when somebody actually says how it's touched them, you know, like for example, somebody was saying, Oh, you the story you wrote at Christmas. I was, I was jogging with my dog and I started crying, you know, and it, and it was, it was an odd reaction. So I was like, yes, I made somebody cry, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it right. brings, it brings home. It's not just hard work for me. It's a product somebody is enjoying. Right. Someone gets purpose from it. And yeah. I think that's the other day. I think that's what we all want from our lives, right? Yes. Just yeah. for us to contribute to the world in a way where people feel like they, they get more purpose or sense of purpose out of it. Yeah. And, um, so yes. And, and, and we love hearing that, but it's true. It's like, um, it's, it's definitely something that I, we try to do more and more as even though we're in the middle of make sure that we don't burn out. Right. And that we continue to, um, celebrate, you know, what we're able to do while we're looking forward to what we want to do next. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. I'm sure you will, as I said, and it's been, I've really enjoyed talking to you. And, and thank you for taking the time out. And I mean, by the time we put the phone down, though, your stats will have gone up again, won't they? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. That would be yes. good. That's a good thing. What a great attitude. Do business and make the world a better place. Now, I don't just heart dogs. I heart, I heart dogs. You can find out more and support iHeartDogs at iHeartDogs.com. And we have more information, links and photos at DogCastRadio.com. You're listening to DogCast Radio on www.DogCastRadio.com. Love, that which biologists, nervous about being misunderstood, call attachment, fuels the bond between dog and master or mistress, John Bradshaw. Now it's time for the Dogcast Radio News, and I'm on my own at the news desk today, as Jenny, who has recently started at university, has succumbed to fresher's flu, and unfortunately has no voice. Losing your voice is bad enough, but no matter who you are, losing a dog is far from easy. In fact, it's crushing. And one famous dog owner who knows the pain of dog loss is Her Majesty the Queen. The Queen is known the world over for her corgis, and she has loved and lost many of them, the latest of which is a corgi called Whisper, whom she adopted after his owner, Bill Fenwick, the gamekeeper at Sandringham, died. Over the years, the Queen has had 30 corgis, all of them, apart from Whisper, related to Susan, the dog she received as an 18th birthday present. Whisper's passing marks the end of an era because there are no more corgis left at Buckingham Palace now. Although the Queen is still kept company by two dorgies. No, that's not just a posh way to say doggies. They're a corgi dachshund cross, and the two she has are called Candy and Vulcan. The Queen may easily be able to meet the expenses of dog ownership, while most of us sometimes struggle. But some of the expenses can be unexpected, like when newlyweds Daniel and Tia Farthing were turned away by Indonesian authorities because Daniel's passport had been nibbled by their dog, Milo. No key details were missing from the document. In fact, only the very smallest part of the lower left corner was missing. But the couple had to fly home and wave goodbye to both Indonesia and the £4,000 they'd paid for the honeymoon. 
There were other expenses involved and stressful delays, thanks to Milo's handiwork, or tooth work. And if you feel sorry for Daniel and Tia, a relative is trying to raise £800 for another trip via GoFundMe.com. New research led by the University of Sydney has revealed the life expectancy of chocolate Labradors is significantly lower than their black and yellow counterparts. The study of more than 33,000 United Kingdom-based Labrador retrievers of all colours shows chocolate Labradors also have a higher incidence of ear infections and skin disease. Its findings were published in the open access journal Canine Genetics and Epidemiology. Part of the university's Vet Compass program, which collects and analyzes electronic patient data on dogs, the research is being replicated in Australia, where Labradors are the most popular breed of dog. Lead author Professor Paul McGreevy from the university's Faculty of Science said the relationship between coat colour and disease came as a surprise to researchers. The UK findings may not be replicated in Australian Labradors, he said, but warrant investigation. Across the entire Labrador population, the most common health conditions found were obesity, ear infections and joint conditions. If you have or have had a Labrador, let us know what colour it was and whether your dog fits in with those findings. As you may know, Buddy was a black Labrador and made it to the age of 15 and a half. More research now, with the University of Arizona having developed a canine cognition test which could help organisations that train working dogs identify the dogs which are most likely to succeed. Obviously, if the test proves accurate, it could save thousands of dollars in training costs and reduce the time of the average wait for an assistance dog. Evan McLean, director of the Arizona Canine Cognition Center at the University of Arizona, is the lead author of a new study in Frontiers in Veterinary Science, which looks at whether canines' cognitive abilities can help predict their success as working dogs. Currently, he's focusing on two types of working dogs assistance dogs in training, which will go on to be paired with people with disabilities, and explosive detection dogs working for the US Navy. So far he's found that for assistance dogs, social skills, including the ability to pay close attention to and maintain eye contact with humans, appear to be especially important. In detection dogs, good short-term memory and sensitivity to human body language, such as pointing gestures, were the best predictors of success. The study involved 164 dogs from the California-based organization Canine Companions for Independence, which trains assistance dogs, and 222 dogs from the Navy. Definitely a beneficial development and one we'll be keeping an eye on. We all know assistance dogs are clever, but a story hit the headlines recently proclaiming Clever dog pretends to be stray to score free McDonald's. Owner hilariously shames her on Facebook. The article tells of how Betsy Ray's dog, Princess, regularly gets out of the house in the evening and makes her way to the nearby McDonald's drive-thru to beg for food from customers. Betsy exposed her naughty dog on Facebook, warning locals not to be fooled by her gold-digging dog, who is fat and not a stray. Princess is apparently now an internet superstar. (laughs) Except, I would say that what Betsy actually exposed is herself as a bad owner. If she knows the dog is able to get out, why isn't she taking steps to make sure she stays safe in the house? If she knows the dog is overweight, why isn't she changing her diet and increasing her exercise? Lastly, why is Betsy cashing in on her irresponsible dog ownership online? What do you make of all this? I'd love your comments on this story. 
Is it just a bit of fun? Or am I right? Is it glorifying irresponsible dog ownership? We end now on a positive note, with the news that greyhound racing has been banned in Florida, USA. The new legislation will take effect on January the 1st, 2021, and at that point there'll be thousands of dogs needing new homes. And if you're interested in adopting one of them, check out the websites of Friends of Greyhounds and Elite Greyhound Adoptions South Florida. All the links mentioned in today's Dogcast Radio news are clickable on the Dogcast Radio site. And that's it for now. See you next time when hopefully Jenny will be joining me again. Did you know that there are over 300 words for love in canine? Gabriel Zevin. Now we have an interview with author and retired vet Malcolm Welshman about his book, a memoir, An Armful of Animals, which is his fourth book. So he obviously enjoys writing. Yes, I've been writing for many, many years, too many years perhaps. (laughs) Used to be actually my weekly vet for 15 years, would you believe? Mm -hmm. That's quite a long time. That all came about by writing, as they say, write about what you know. And I've been given a goose to fatten up for Christmas. And inevitably, like these things do, she became a pet. <laughs> and she actually saved us from being burgled at the time. So oh, wow. no way could we have her as Christmas dinner. No. Imagine. And so I wrote this up for a Christmas feature for my weekly many decades back. They liked it. And on the back of it, I said, well, any interest in having a vet series, you know, question and answers or just stories? And they said, give us a few to try. Sent in three, and as I say, 15 years on, I was still writing for them. So that gave me the basis for being able to write, if you like. Yes, yeah. Like yeah. good fun. Uh, do you know, I'm always looking for inspiration and outlets to write. I think I may go out and get a goose now. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the goose didn't. And then we were given three turkey poults for the following summer. Yeah. And as I say... They became good friends with Gertie the Goose, so there was no way we could use those. So no. we ended up with fish and chips that Christmas. <laughs> Do you know, that's funny. Um, I was going to say, don't ever get pet fish then, because we have fish. My daughter and I, Jenny and I, are vegetarian, but my husband likes it pointed out, in his terms, he is normal. <laughs> he's, he's a meaty, so right. that's his terms. And Mr. Dogcast, this is. And so any, we had ducks, Indian run ducks as pets, and we, we, we ate the eggs, but we didn't eat the ducks. They were, you know, they were pets, definitely. And we went to my sister-in-law's one Christmas, and she'd done a duck. And he just went, I can't eat it. And we came away and right. he said, you are never, ever to have a pet cow. I have to have beef. <laughs> so right. we're banned from that. But yes, you can't eat animals that you've loved, can you? No. Well, we did have a sheep called Esther and we had lambs from her. She had been a pet sheep, which uh, wouldn't come to the sheepdog. So this sheep ended up in, as a pet for us. And mm. yeah, we, we tucked her and she had lambs. And I'm afraid they were going in the freezer. And our daughter was growing up at the time. I think she was about 10. And hmm. um, one lunchtime, on Sunday lunch, we were having, would you believe it, lamb. Hmm. And she looked up and said, this isn't George by any chance. Hmm. I said, I'm afraid it is. And yeah. then we stopped. We had to stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, funnily enough, we home educated Jenny for quite a long time. And there was a home ed family who we were friends with. And they had pet sheep. 
and then and, and it, a pet lamb and then that ended up in the freezer as you say and one of their kids went is this i i can't actually remember the name of the sheep but and they said is this so and so and they went yes it is and he went oh He's a bit tough, isn't he? And I'm thinking, oh my goodness. But, you know, I couldn't do that, but I admire that honesty. If you can give the animal a good life and, you know, everybody's got their own personal standpoint on this, but if the animal's had a good life and you, you can do that, then that's fine for you. And I'm not, I'm not judging that I couldn't do it, but that, you know, that's fine. But um, we all have our, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, mm. when, when George was mentioned, it did stop us from having any more George. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think I, I believe Paul McCartney went through a similar thing. So we're in good company, Malcolm. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Now, we're not actually here to talk about sheep, but you and I could talk. You know, this is going to be a long interview, which is great, which is great. So if you're listening to this, well, hopefully somebody's listening to this, settle back in because this is going to be a good chat. But we're actually here to talk about this book and specifically one one of the, the dogs that's sort of been really pivotal in, in your life. So t- tell me about that dog. Right. Well, when I was eight years old, my father, being in the forces, was sent out to Nigeria. So mum and I followed and had a wonderful time over four years being brought up in the tropics. So I had an interest in exotics. So we had chameleons, tortoises, a parrot. Guess what the parrot's name was, Julie? I'm guessing Polly. I'm afraid so. And we had a black cat. What was her name? Oh, Midnight? <laughs> well, it's Sooty, actually. Oh, but okay. Very common. But we had, did have a very unusual dog. It's sort of a, an African bush dog hmm. by the name of Poucher. And she was an absolute sweetie. She was a Labrador-sized, dark-coated, white blaze on the chest, white paw stockings, and uh, had a habit of sort of sitting and doing a shaker paw to everyone she met. Oh, the absolute bless. darling. Everyone fell for her as soon as they met her. Real sweetie. And one day she disappeared. Disappeared for three days, in actual fact. Mm. And we actually feared the worst, as you can imagine, that she might have been eaten by a wild animal. Yeah. So we were really fraught. But she actually came home after three days, dragging her right hind leg. And in that leg was a tremendous gash. Mm. So obviously she had been attacked. And it was the army doctor who stitched her up saved her life, in fact. Mm. Me watching as a goggle-eyed nine-year-old saying, I want to be a vet. Yeah. So that's how my career started, in a way. Yeah. Isn't it funny how you you bring a dog into your life and and you know it's going to change your life in some ways, but sometimes it's really, you don't anticipate it and you think, wow, without that dog, I would not have had any of this. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, during her convalescence, there was another quite alarming episode that occurred mm. and we had, had allowed her to sleep in my bedroom father had constructed a box so she could sleep next to my bed and suddenly the cat would sleep on top of the mosquito net and one evening my parents had gone off to an army do leaving me i say on my own but the houseboy lived with his family at the far end of the bungalow and it was a really dark african night not one of these wonderful silvery moon effects that you sometimes get. And I got woken up in the pitch darkness, hearing Poucher nuzzling herself. And I thought, well, maybe it's the wound stitches sort of hurting her a bit. Then I found the mosquito net sway because Sooty was being disturbed as well. Mm. So in that darkness, Julie, I lifted the mosquito net 
felt things running up my leg. Mm. Put my other leg down, felt things running oh. up that leg as well. Uh, uh, yeah. Raced across the room, switched the light on, turned to find the whole room a seething black mass of soldier ants. Oh, no! Ugh. And they're not like our little British ants. They are big, big ants. Mm. And they got pincers which can inject you with formic acid. And they were having a damn good go at injecting me. They are running, swarming up my legs onto my tummy, uh, getting swollen, blotched legs in yeah. the stomach, and started screaming, of course. Rushed to the door out onto the veranda, switched the outside light on. See, the whole back lawn was a black mass of ants as well. Oh, Poucher, no. but, yeah, it really was quite horrific. And Poucher, by that stage, was obviously very alarmed at getting ants on her. Started howling and barking, rushed off down. That alerted the houseboy, who came up. It was in my room that was affected. The ants had been coming through columns of them, had come through one window, through the room and out the other one. So the rest of the bungalow was okay. So he picked me up, carried me through to the living room, pulled as many of the ants off as we could. And then for some reason we decided we'd try and kill off as many of the ants as possible with insecticide spray. So he armed ourselves from the store, went back down and the spray, 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 killed as many as we could. When my fa- parents arrived back from their army do, the ants had moved on. All that was left was me with all my blotched arms and legs and five cardboard boxes of dead ants. Oh, gosh. Wow. Poucher survived Mm. and Sooty survived, but my pet bantam and chickens, bantam and ducks, rather, they got eaten. So just a few feathers left in the next morning. Wow. They are some... Quite a story, eh? Yeah, they are some awesome ants. Wow. Yeah, yeah. They they will, as I say, eat a sheep or goat. They they could just sort of converge onto them. And the reason we just discovered why they'd come into my bedroom is that I kept a large vat of or barrel of corn for those ducks and bantams and the outriders of the column of ants would obviously say, hey, Malcolm's bedroom's got some food in it, and diverted the whole lot through my room. Yeah? Oh dear. Yeah. So did you did you move the corn? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well I didn't have any bantams or ducks to feed oh, at that stage. Yes, but yeah, course, yeah. Yeah, we we did it was a sensible thing to move some way. Yeah. So in a way, uh pouch, I wouldn't say saved my life, but alerted the houseboy to the problem that was going on there and sort of saved me from getting even more badly bitten. Yes. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So was, that was good. And then again, Poucher, in actual fact, this sounds very dramatic, Julie, mm. she saved my mother's life. Mm. How did she do that? Well, we used to go out for an afternoon a jaunt to a place called the River Ogan, which was about 30 or 40 miles from Abaddon, the town where we lived. And it involved going along a uh, river course down in a ravine, very twisty, quite a narrow road. And on the way back from our visit that afternoon, my mum spotted some sort of orchid-like flowers high up on the hill above the road. And she sort of nudged Dad and said, any chance of stopping and picking some? He said, well, not a particularly good road to do it, sir. But he found a sort of a lay-by area, stopped the car, and he and I clambered out, clambered up this hillside with Poucher. She was coming up with us. Mum stayed in the car, in the Land Rover. And anyway, we were picking these flowers. Then I looked down to the where the Land Rover was on the edge there, near the edge of the ravine, but the other side. And down the road was coming one of the local buses, crammed full of locals, 
chickens, goats as well. But the horrific thing was, there was one coming the other way up the hill. And we know from experience, having seen it, that uh, they never like to give way, the drivers. And mm. on the single track bridges, you can look over the sides and see the remains of many lorries that have not made it, as it were. So you can imagine our horror seeing one coming down one way, one coming up from the other way. Yeah. So we started shouting to my mum down in the car, and she didn't hear us because we were quite high up the hill. Poucher sensed something was going on. She raced down the hill, jumped up at the car, really, really scrabbling and howling, really, absolutely going berserk. Mum realised then something was afoot, looked round, saw what was going to happen, pulled her south away from the seat out literally threw herself out of the, the um land rover just in time because one of the lorries swerved they did try and overtake each other right by the land rover and didn't really make it so the squealing of brakes etc one of them actually shunted the back of the land rover it went across the road teetered on the edge and then plunged down <gasps> into the ravine oh my goodness Malcolm. yeah Crikey. Yeah, and I mean, it was absolutely, you can imagine it, all the locals were jumped off, shout, the drivers shouting at each other, pa- absolute pandemonium. My mum was shaking, quivering, nervous wreck, actually, obviously, on one side of the road, realising what could have potentially happened to her. Yes. And again, it was Poucher, really, that helped, saved her life. Yeah, oh, bless her. Yeah, what an incredible dog. Wow. Absolutely. So, and when it came to it, obviously, uh, there was a time when the tour out in Nigeria finished. My father was coming home, the family was coming home, and we were going to have to leave Poucher, in actual fact. So uh, you can imagine the tears mm-hmm. of farewell. In fact, uh, that forms a chapter, quite a long chapter in this memoir of mine, Armful of Animals. In fact, it's one of the main chapters of the book. Uh, there's a lot of fairly lightweight stories of my time in practice and mm. other pets that I've dealt with, but Poucher's quite symbolic of uh, how I felt and how I shaped, my life was shaped by having pets like her and other canines. So if I'm permitted, I'd perhaps like to just read the last couple of pages of that chapter of how we parted. Yes, please. And I'd, I'd love to hear this. Thank you. Yes. Okay. So here we go then. So when the time came to part, it didn't soften the wrench of that parting. It didn't stop the tightening of the throat. The sting of tears fought back as I knelt down and stared into Poucher's trusting brown eyes for the last time. I'm going to miss you so much, I sobbed, burying my head in her neck. You've been such a great, great buddy. Her pink tongue lolled out to lick the tip of my nose. With a little grizzle, she cocked her head, and then, for one last time, raised her paw. I shook it, not in greeting, but in farewell. Bye-bye, pet, I whispered. Bye-bye, poucher. Then jumped to my feet and ran to the awaiting Land Rover to hide the tears I could no longer control. Mother did her best to console me, but even her eyes were moist, shiny. She'll be in good hands, she said, and I bet you one thing. What's that, I sniffed. That Poucher looks after her new owners, just as she looked after us. And she proved to be right. Back in England, one frosty December morning, an airmail letter arrived. It was from the Freemans, Poucher's new owners. There, what did I tell you? exclaimed Mother, halfway through reading it. 
What's happened? What's happened? I yelled, hopping up and down. Come on, Mum, tell me. They say their little boy was playing in the garden when he was disturbed by a spitting cobra. Poucher ran between the boy and snake, barking. The snake apparently spat at her. But she was all right, wasn't she? I knew the danger of those snakes. They can spit venom into your eyes with deadly accuracy. Well, she was partially blinded, but has recovered fully now. Here, why don't you read the letter for yourself? Mum handed it to me. I scanned its contents, eagerly devouring every word describing Pouch's heroic action. The letter ended with a P.S. We can't thank you enough for giving us such a loyal and faithful companion. She is a much-loved member of the family. Those words made my heart skip a beat. I smiled to myself. If Poucher was happy, then I, too, was happy. Happy with the memories that I had of that wonderful dog. The dog that had helped back to life. The dog that had put me on the road to becoming a vet. Little did I realise then what a cast of characters I would go on to meet during my future career. Yeah. Oh. Oh, that's lovely. Oh. So she, she really was amazing, wasn't she? And so brave. Yep. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And there were there were other there were other stories. That again, she saved us from some marauding baboons on another occasion. Mm. Going to another visit. Yeah. So wonderful story. And funny enough, I I'd written about her oh, about fifteen years ago, <clears throat> and I was going to be writing the fourth of my. Uh, Paul Mitchell series, that's the three books of uh, vet stories, fictionalised. Mm. And I was sort of three quarters of the way through it. And I uh, thought more and more of this is autobiographical. And one afternoon, I went into a, I had an old chest stuffed full of yellowing scripts. I was rummaging through it looking for a bit of inspiration. And I came upon this 15,000 word piece on Poucher. Forgot my written it, sat down, started reading it. And of course, all the memories came flooding back. So, it was uh, quite a poignant afternoon for me. Yeah. I'm getting soft in my old age, you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I mean, dogs, dogs do touch us. That's why we have dogs because they do worm their way to your affections. And and even I always think it's a very hard heart that isn't affected by our dog. I mean, when we got um, Buddy, uh, our first dog, my my Labrador, my husband isn't wasn't as 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 a doggy a person as I was and you know he, he I mean he he liked the dog but he didn't he didn't love him at that point but day after day after day he would come home from work and Buddy would like be like you know wow you're home this is the best thing that's happened all day wow I love you you know how a Labrador is and yep, and he just won him round you know and, and yeah. I remember the one day when Buddy was oh certainly under a year and Mr. Dogcast said um you know, well, I don't think they're doggy per doggy people. We were talking about somebody. I don't think they're a doggy person. And I went, oh, my goodness. And you are. And he went, yeah. And I was going, we've brought you over to the dog side. And it's it got him. But I, I always think, how can you resist that kind of love and, and enthusiasm? You Absolutely, can't. Absolutely, yes. Yes, I mean, the, the tail wags no matter how bad a mood you're in. You know, yeah. the, the dog, I'm here. Pleased <laughs> yes. to see you. I, I said, our little uh, Yorkie Cross Dora. She's got her own uh, blog site on on an international uh, website, and uh, she she talks about Boss Man. That's me. Mm. And gradually, little little uh, sort of idiosyncrasies, little habits develop over the years, don't they? Yes. And then other people say, "Hi, what, what's she doing there?" And I say, "I know what she's going to do. It's the look <laughs> in her eyes, saying she wants a lap." 
Yes. yes. <laughs> and uh, I uncrossed my legs if I'm sitting at the table. Boom, she's there. Yeah. And that's developed over, yeah, I suppose a few months to a year, just little subtle signals that, uh, yes. and then if I don't tickle the neck in the right place um, and stop, the tail starts wagging furiously <laughs> and she does a sideways glance at me yes. saying, you stopped, you haven't done it. Right. <laughs> it's just amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you know, you say that uh, um, we have now Mischief, that's uh, Jenny's dog. She's a German Spitz client. So she's like a little Pomeranian. So she's a small dog and very fluffy. But the brain in that little head is, is spot on. And she she sort of winds you around her little paw, little claw. Paw, but, yeah. Yes. The one day, Jenny, recently, Jenny was sitting on the sofa and, the, and Mischief's got this thing where she sits up on her haunches and sort of sits up, up, up straight, but sitting. Yep. And she does both paws together, sort of up and down very quickly. And it's her, <laughs> please, please, please. And we have, we have given it a command. She did it naturally. We have given it a command and we have rewarded it. But now that's her, please, please. So she was doing yep. this to Jenny and, and Jenny was saying, well, she's been out. She's weed. She's pooed. She's fed. I don't know what she wants. And normally somebody sits in the armchair and mischief gets straight on their lap. So I said, Jen, just try sitting in the armchair. So she got into the armchair and mischief got on her lap. And as you say, wagged her tail. She's like, yes, I've got what I want. Absolutely. (laughs) That's what what Dora does as well. I mean, it's just amazing how they get these little habits and wrap you around their little paw as a result. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. They watch you so closely. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... You've obviously you've, you've you had years of being a vet and, and all the 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 well the good times and the bad times I imagine because I imagine at times it's a really really tough job to do and and you've written obviously quite extensively about that time haven't you? Yes, yeah. I mean, you're talking about the, the sad times, obviously, like um, when you have to put someone's yes. bed to sleep. And yeah. That can be. I've got another story which I, I can <laughs> let you. Uh, uh, listen to for a few minutes. Yep, um, this concerned an elderly gentleman called Mr. Entwistle, who had a border collie. He mm. used to take the collie to agility classes, but not for actual uh, working. And it was a wonderful dog, a very good patient, if you like, because Mr. Entwistle would come in, and the dog's name was called Ben. So it would be one click, Ben would jump up onto the consulting table, click, click, sit down, Three clicks of the fingers, out would come a paw for shaker paw. So very, very nice uh, model, very obedient dog. He developed what's called um, spondylitis, where you get these bony growths along the spine, and it eventually impinges on the nerves, so you get things like sciatica, and then get loss of use of the back legs. Mm. And this was quite a gradual condition, but we knew that in time it would get to a stage maybe where the dog couldn't move properly. He'd obviously been uh, treated with anti-inflammatories and painkillers as and when, keeping comfortable. But we did know that there would be a time when perhaps if he got paralysed, it would be time to say mm. goodbye. Mm. And that time did come about. In came Mr. Entwistle with the dog carrying Ben. There was no click up on the table, click, mm. click, sit down, click, 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 shake of war. And he said, I think time's come. I said, yeah, I'm afraid so. Can I stay with Ben? said Mr. Entwistle. Yeah, of course you can. Mm. So Mr. Entwistle put his arm round Ben, head next to Ben's head. I gave the dog a lethal injection, saw his big brown eyes slowly go down. And Mr. Entwistle, one tear rolled down his cheek, 
lips quivered in a croaky voice said, bye-bye, Ben, bye-bye, oh. my old pal. Mm. So very poignant, sad moment for all of us, really. Yeah. But I felt actually Mr. Entwistle was the sort of gentleman that would probably get another dog. And indeed, about five, six months later, in he comes with another little border collie mm. youngster called Bess. Oh. And Bess comes in as a click of the fingers. She just about gets up on the table. Click, click. She just about sits down, backhanging <laughs> all over the place like a little puppy, really keen. Mm. He'd said before, click, click, click. And out comes this paw, just about shake a paw all over the place. <laughs> L- oh. Lolling tongue, you know, really. But trying her best. She was obviously learning. I gave her her first injection. And I turned to Mr. Entwistle and said, uh, I can't help saying, but this best reminds me so much of Ben. He looked up at me and broad grin and said, Bess is Ben's great, great, great granddaughter. Wow. So the cycle there, the story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. That's lovely. Because I know, you know, I I lost Buddy in June and the the pull is there immensely that you think, you know, I I want to go and, you know, I want some of that back. I want to go back to find a relative. But, I mean, in our case, we've decided that, it's it's more suitable to have a smaller dog, so we're not going to do that. But you know, I in s- some days it's so hard for me not just to phone the breeder that we got Buddy from and go, "Have you got any yeah, puppies planned?" You know, it's it's just such yeah, a, yeah, a heartache. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, and I mean, I have every respect. I mean, the, the vet who who actually put Buddy down was amazing, and um, it was very hard because we we hadn't met her before, but she was very good. Um, and I did my best and she did her absolute best and she was amazing for, there for us. But, um, yeah. I mean, and that's, that's, that's really difficult. I, I can imagine that as a vet, maybe sometimes you, you fall apart afterwards for the dog and the person, but you have to be strong for them at the time, don't you? Absolutely, yes. I mean, you do form a bond with a client's dog, especially obviously if you've known the dog since a puppy. And yeah. Treated him through its life, so yes, it can be. And also, even later on, seeing the the bond between the client and the dog, I always used to treat the dog, talk to the dog first. Mm. Most so that as they came in, or well, hello, buddy, it would be rather than hello, yes. Mr. Charles, you know, <laughs> and uh, treat them with the respect that it's due. And so when it is time for make a decision like that, it is hard. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, for everybody. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Incredibly. We will put all the links and you've mentioned Dora's blog and you've mentioned, you know, other books and we'll put all those links in the, the show notes because I'm sure right. people will, will want to find them. But what's the best website for people to find out more about you and, and your career and your, your life and with, with Poucher and, and all that kind of thing? Where, where's the best right. link for that? It, 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 that would be my own website. So that's uk. Smashing. Okay, we'll put that one on as well. And I mean, it's been lovely. It's, we, we've talked about quite a lot, and obviously, we we can't possibly cover you know everything. But is there anything else that you'd like to say that we haven't said today? <laughs> I think I've probably said enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I could, well, no, I won't. But uh, for instance, we did a you know, it's again a chapter in the book. I thought I'd get away from just the the veterinary aspects of stories or in my pets because. Uh, Maxie, my wife and I travelled across Africa in a truck way, oh, way back in the 70s when it was still not so easy to do. Mm. And I ended up treating a lame camel in the middle of the Sahara and then a gourd 
ostrich at Kano Zoo. So there we go. Wow, wow. <laughs> Another time, perhaps. But that, yeah. that's, not, that's, not, that's not doggy oriented. Well, no, we? no. Are you saying I've got to start a new podcast now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, animals I have known. Yes. Anyway, it's been great talking to you. Yes, it's been lovely. Thank you ever so much. And thank you for reading to us as well. And the best of luck with, with Dora. She sounds lovely. She is an absolute sweetie, yeah, and uh, certainly uh, makes our life even more wonderful, I have to confess. Dogs have certainly made Malcolm's life wonderful. Poucher sounds incredible. We have the link to Malcolm's site and more on the Dogcast Radio site. And if you have a story to tell about a dog who changed your life, I'd love to hear from you. What do dogs do on their day off? Can't lie around. That's their job. George Carlin. I've been spending a lot of time with dog trainers, watching them work their magic with dogs and talking to them in the course of writing various articles I'm working on at the moment. And it's really made me think about how we can quickly and easily make life better for our dogs. One thing that's shone at is that a 15-minute walk around the block simply does not meet a dog's needs, physical or mental. We need to give our dogs enrichment, yet at the same time, we live busy, demanding lives. So how can we do that? We can fit it in to what we already do. So, for example, when we play fetch with mischief, we build in an extra level of mental challenge by occasionally asking her to sit and wait and watch the ball until it lands. Then we tell her she can go fetch it. This requires for mischief the effort of self-control and remembering where the ball is, which makes it more enjoyable for her and tires her out more. The other easy way to make life more interesting for your dog is by making them work for their food. And before you call me cruel for making them work for their food, there's a new term I learned this week. It's the concept of contra-free loading, which brilliant young Jodie Forbes taught me. You can find out more about Jodie at her website, crazelpup.com. We have a link to that on the Dogcast Radio site. But contra-freeloading is the idea of preferring to work for your food rather than just be... Well, handed it on a plate, I suppose. And apparently, dogs being instinctive hunters, they would rather actively get their food rather than passively accept it. What do you make of that? And what do you think your dog's attitude is? Just before I go, I want to tell you about a petition I felt moved to start in response to the British Army putting down dogs based on things like age or the fact they could no longer actually work. It's my view that the vast majority of those dogs could be rehomed and live out the retirement which they have earned happily. It may require rehabilitation, which takes time and money, but don't they all deserve the best chance they can have? The petition is called for every military dog to have the rehabilitation and retirement they deserve. It's on change.org and we have the link on dogcastradio.com. Until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com 
When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. Would you rather have a £250 dog chase you or a lion? Um, I'd rather he chased the lion, to be honest. No, 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 you, you're misunderstanding. I'll try oh, another one. Oh, sorry, okay. What has 4,000 eyes and 8,000 legs? Um, I, I don't know. 2,000 dogs. <laughs> oh, Jen, Jen, I've got one of those. Hang on, hang on. What has 8,000 eyes and 16,000 legs? 4,000 dogs? Yeah, okay.